Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us tonight. We are so grateful that the Lord Jesus loved us enough that he would die. Father, we are so grateful to you that you loved us enough to give your only Son. And we're so grateful to the Holy Spirit who warmed the message to us. I would pray, Father, that you'll bless everyone, Father, who's not here tonight. Father, that they may receive from you, Father, and bless us all. More than anything, Father, we want to bless you tonight. In the name of Jesus, we ask that you may be blessed by all that is said and done tonight. In the name of Jesus. Amen. On the very first Bible study tape of the first series, I mentioned that we'd be doing some ancient history. And so far, we've mentioned very little. Tonight, I'm going to introduce us to four major empires that have affected the Jews. We're not going to touch them in great detail. We're going to skim over the surface, but it's going to be, I think, a useful introduction tonight. So far in this series on judgments, and we're now on number 10, We've covered only judgment as it's related to the individual. So we've covered the judgment of Satan, the judgment of Jesus, the judgment of believers, and the judgment of believers' works. Tonight, I'm widening the scope. We're going to see um, a, a national and an international judgment. Because God has a hand in the affairs of nations today. And he has an, a hand in the affairs of one nation in particular. And any person that studies history, and definitely who studies the Bible, finds that all other nations fade into mists of time compared to one major nation. God's chosen people, Israel, the Jews. And from the divine viewpoint, history of any other nation, including the United States of America, including Russia, including the British Empire, act only as the sort of scenery or the backdrops to the unfolding drama that is going on around Israel. Because God is predominantly concerned with Israel. All history only is important as far as God is concerned when it affects directly his beloved people. We've seen this time and time again. When you look through history, you see that the major waves, the major revivals, the major empires have finally ended up either going for this little nation or this little group of people or going against them. And if you then follow history through, you can see the results of a nation standing against Israel or a nation standing for Israel. That's how interested God is. Not only God, Satan's interested in the Jews. Do you know, for 4,000 years the Jews have been around. People have risen, people have gone down. Nations have come up, nations have been lost in the midst of time. But for 4,000 years the Jews have been on this earth. No wonder a Bible-believing brother could say, when asked by Peter the Great, Tsar of Russia, for a proof of the Bible, he said, easy, your majesty, the Jews. And that's 200 years ago. If they're a proof of the Bible 200 years ago, they're more a proof of the Bible today. Why? Why should Israel occupy that place in world history? I believe the major reason is because Satan is preoccupied with the Jews. 
ever wondered why Satan should be so interested in the Jews? Have you ever wondered why for the last 4,000 years there have always been groups of people around who have been trying to destroy the Jews? Why anti-Semitism has marked every single generation stretching back into time? Satan is your answer. And it's simply this. When God sovereignly chose Abraham, he made promises to Abraham. And one of the promises was, Abraham, I promise that some of your seed will be on the earth as long as the earth lasts. He also made a promise to Satan. He said, Satan, you've rebelled against me and I promise I'll destroy you. If Satan can break one promise, because God never changes, he's broken every single promise right along the way. And if Satan can destroy every Jew from off the earth, God's word to Abraham is broken. And if he's broken the word of God, Satan will also get off scot-free. Because the promise to Satan that he will be destroyed will also be broken. And that's why the Jews have always been the center of such persecution, such hatred. We're not just dealing with a small nation. We are dealing with things that are universe-shattering. For if the Jews disappear from the face of this earth, Satan is allowed to go scot-free because the promises of God are broken. And every Jew you meet, it should give you a smile on your face because you know that the promises are sure. Glory to Jesus. Now that's the basic reason. And so all history has revolved around the Jews. Russia today. Do you think Russia is important? To God, they're important because one day they're going to affect the Jews, either for good or for bad. And the Bible tells us which, and it's for bad. Right, now that's Israel. Now, this wonderful nation, this little group of people sometimes, this vast multitude of people at other times, is in a unique position with God. What a nation! If they had remained in fellowship with God, they would have been blessed by him all the time. And Israel would have stood as the nation that represented the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the covenant-keeping God. And people would have looked at the Jews and said, their God really loves them. Their God really cares for them and looks after them. What is this God? Who is this God of Israel? They had the unique opportunity of being able to represent a loving, wonderful Saviour to the people around. We now have the same opportunity, of course. But they as a nation had the opportunity to represent God. And what a unique opportunity it was. But unfortunately, as we know, because we've studied the Bible, time and time and time and time again, they let God down. They got out of fellowship with God, they rejected God, they turned to idols. And just as we have seen that God disciplines and judges any individual that gets out of fellowship, so he disciplined Israel. And to begin with today, I'm going to deal with how God graciously disciplined Israel. And I've called that the five cycles of discipline. The five cycles of discipline. Now, you remember that we've seen grace always comes before judgment. And what was the grace that was given to Israel? We've seen it before. Wonderful men of God were sent. 
marvellous, gentle men of God were sent into their midst preaching a message. Repent. He loves you. He'll forgive you your sins. Turn back to him. And if they did, they knew the blessing. If they didn't, they knew the cursing. And you know that most of these men were very cruelly treated, thrown out. And finally, God, in his marvellous grace, sent his only begotten son to preach to Israel. To say, you're going, the wrong, you're going along the wrong path. Here I am. Serve me. Love me. And Israel finally said, we won't have anything to do with you. Now that's grace. The five cycles of discipline are grace as well. Because when Israel stepped out of line, God didn't just come along and smash them down as I would have done and you would have done. He did something that was so miraculous and so wonderful. He punished them gradually. At first he punished them only a little bit. And if they ignored that, he punished them a bit more. And if they ignored that, he punished them a bit more. And if they ignored that, he punished them a bit more. And finally, he really punished them. And not only that, he told them each of the stages in the Word of God. The five stages were clearly outlined in the Word of God. So that, as soon as the first stage came into operation, they'd say, oh, we're out of fellowship. The Word of God says, we're out of fellowship. We must be. Let's repent. And blessing could have started again. The five cycles of discipline are indeed judgment, but they're grace before judgment too. Let's have a look. We're, this will become clear as we start looking. In Leviticus chapter 26, we get the mention of the five cycles of discipline. <clears throat> Leviticus 26. Now, because it's grace before judgment, we begin the chapter with what will happen if they stay in fellowship with God. Oh, now that's a wonderful picture. What is going to happen if they stay in fellowship with God? And this is Leviticus 26 and verse 3. And I'm just going to read the first bit and take it in as we're reading it. He begins off by saying this, verse 3. If ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. Imagine that. They were going to get the rain just when the crop needed it. Not out of season, just when it was right. Because God happens to be in charge of the meteorology department up in heaven. And the land shall yield her increase. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall reach unto the vintage. The vintage shall reach unto the sowing time. And ye shall eat your bread to the full. And dwell in your land safely. Wonderful. Enough to eat. Enough to drink. All the dainties they wanted. And safety on every side. They wouldn't have to fight. And I will give peace in the land. Ye shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land. Don't forget there were wild animals across the land. Neither shall the sword go through your land. Ye shall chase your enemies and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred. Wonderful. Only five of them but they're going to defeat a hundred. A hundred will say, oh look there are five of them, let's run. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What this is blessing. And an hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. And I will have respect unto you, and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and establish my covenant with you. And ye shall eat old store, and bring forth the old because of the new. 
they, the new was coming in so rapidly, they had to quickly eat the old to make room for the new. How marvellous. And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be their bondmen. And I have broken the bands of your yoke, and made you go upright. That was what God was offering them, if they stayed in fellowship. That's one side. And here's the grace of God on the other side. It wasn't just one blob of judgment as it was for blessing. It was, there weren't five cycles of blessing. It, they got all the blessing at once if they just repented. But discipline, because God's gracious, was done in stages. And now we get the stages of discipline under which Israel came and comes today. Verse 14. But if ye will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, and if ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that you break my covenant, and then he begins. Now the first cycle, the first stage of discipline, is in verse 16 and verse 17. And here's the first stage. Now they're dwelling in safety, and all of a sudden they notice something things start going wrong. And here's the order in which they go wrong. I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, fear. They're going to start worrying about the situation around. They didn't have to do that under blessing. Now they have to start doing it because they were out of fellowship. Terror, consumption and the burning ague, that's disease. That's terrible disease. That's a wasting type of fever that they will get in their bodies. And there'd be outbreaks of disease in the land. Not under blessing. And as soon as they saw it, and it was an ep epidemic, they must have said, Leviticus 26 tells us about this. Are you sure we're not out of fellowship? Are you sure? And they had the chance to consider it and think about it and sit down and talk about it. Didn't stop there. Next. That shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And one of the things that used to go on in the ancient world was, when the householders were in bed, the Moabites or the Edomites, they used to skirmish into the land and harvest all the fields, so that when the fellow got up in the morning, all of the harvest had gone. You see? So that there they were, working away, they weren't getting the re rewards, they weren't getting the yields that they should do. Who was it? Not the Edomites, not the Moabites, it was God. And God was saying, you're out of fellowship. That's grace. He was telling them very clearly that they were out of fellowship. This is his judgment, but also the grace with the judgment. Next, um, I will set my face against you. You shall be slain before your enemies. So they're going to start losing battles now. They that hate you shall reign over you. You'll have to do what they say. And ye shall flee when none pursueth you. Do you know Christians like that who are on the run from fears and from dangers that might happen next week perhaps and they're busy building up their reserves now just in case they happen. That's what's going to happen to Israel. All right, now there it is. Now if Israel, if, we, if it had happened to us, say God had said that to this fellowship and it started happening, do you not think that we will get on our knees and repent and get in? In back into fellowship. I believe that most of us would do that. 
Israel was given a marvellous opportunity to do it. But if they didn't listen, God still didn't smash them. He simply put them into the second cycle as it went through. And here's the second cycle. And all the cycles are introduced with this little phrase. And if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And that means I'll punish you worse. I'll punish you worse. And the second of the cycles then is verse 18 to verse 20. All right, they've got the first already. Now it starts getting worse. And I will break the pride of your power. The national pride goes out. People, instead of being proud to belong to Judah or to belong to Israel, they suddenly are a bit afraid and a bit ashamed to mention that, yes, I, I happen to be a Jew. That's true, yes. The national pride starts going out of the window. Next, I will make your heaven as iron. What does that mean? No rain. Absolutely no rain. You look up into the sky and it looks grey. Not a drop of rain starts falling. That's the heaven as iron. Next, and it says, and your earth as brass. And you dig it away and it's hard because it hasn't had any rain at all. God's discipline is beginning to get harder. And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield her increase. Neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. They work hard, no reward yet again. Alright, now there's the wonderful opportunity. They're now in the second cycle of discipline. God says, are you going to repent? If you repent, you'll get all the first part of Leviticus again. If you don't, cycle number three begins. And here's cycle number three, beginning verse 21. And if you walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. Now, it's verse 22 that it's described. I will also send wild beasts among you. There it is, wild animals start attacking. And I believe in our day, instead of wild animals, I think that's wild men, that's terrorism, that's gangsterism breaking out in the land. I will send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, that's murder, and destroy your cattle, that's loss of property, and make you few in number. And your highways shall be desolate. No one will walk along the streets because they're afraid. Now, of course, these are only for Israel. If I were to apply them to a nation. I believe Britain will be in cycle number three. Our national pride has gone. Gangsterism is breaking out. I believe it is time for this nation to repent and turn back to God. And I believe God graciously has given signs for those of us who are looking. If you go right through one, two and three, I think it's true. I think more or less they're breaking out. We're having to import huge amounts of food to keep ourselves going. I believe we're under the beginning of God's discipline. So far, cycle four and five haven't happened. Solzhenitsyn's telling us they're going to. Well, if you agree with Solzhenitsyn, that's one thing. If he's right, we're fulfilling the five cycles of discipline, although they are, of course, especially for Israel. Repent! That was the message of all this. Look, repent! Nothing serious has happened yet. Repent! And if they harden their hearts, God's discipline and judgment will get worse. And so you get the fourth cycle now. Isn't this gracious of the Lord? He didn't have to do this. He could have just stamped on them. He could have just obliterated them. No, he loved them so much. Christians are handled the same way.
God does not come and smash you down immediately. He gives you a little at first. And if you ignore it, he makes it worse. Right? We've seen that. Number four. Then will I also walk... Sorry. Verse 23. And if you will not be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary unto you, and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And here's the fourth cycle. And I, notice I, God, he's going to judge them, no one else. I, he says, will bring a sword upon you. Nations are going to rise up against Israel, and they're going to start fighting against them. And it's God that's allowing those nations to come. That's the fourth cycle of discipline. That shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when ye are gathered together within your cities, what does that mean? Well, they had defense cities. They had huge walls with big doors which they slammed shut. And all the people, when they heard the enemy was coming, ran inside the cities and closed the door. When you think you're feeling secure inside those cities, God says, what? I will send the pestilence among you. Disease will break out in the middle of the city. And ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. And that means that the enemy will actually be able to defeat them. Although they stay in the land, but under the oppression of an outside force. And when I, God, have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven. There's so little wheat about that it only takes one oven to do it. The food drops to one-tenth of what it was before. And that's famine. Famine breaks out in the land under cycle four. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall deliver you your bread again by weight. Ye shall eat and not be satisfied. Repent is the message of cycle four. It's not too late. Get back into fellowship. Right. Verse 27. And if you will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary to me. Fifth cycle. Then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. And I, even I, I'm responsible Jews, don't blame those, I'm responsible. That's what God's saying. I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Verse 29. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. Food gets so scarce that cannibalism breaks out. And I could prove from history, but I won't tonight, that that's absolutely what happened. The Jews who loved their own, their own children and their own families were so short of food that they actually reached the point of cannibalism within their cities. Next, verse 30. And I will destroy your high places. This is idolatry. This was where the idols were put that they used to worship. Idolatry was the reason that God was judging them. And I will destroy your high places and cast down your images and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols. And my soul shall abhor you. And I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation. And I will not smell the savour of your sweet odours. And I will bring the land into desolation. Your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And under the fifth cycle of discipline, the outsiders start living in the land. And they look around the land and the destruction so awful they can't believe it. And they say, this is terrible. What have these people done? And it's God who has disciplined them. Next, verse 33. And here is the mark of the fifth cycle of discipline. 
not only would they have people controlling them, but the Jews themselves would be taken out of the land and taken away into other countries. And I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate, your cities waste. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths as long as it lieth desolate, and ye be in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. They're out of the land, the land is fallow. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when ye dwelt upon it. And upon them that are left alive of you, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of the enemies. There are no fear wherever they are. And the sound of a shaken leaf shall chase them. They'll be walking down the streets and a tree rustles. And they run because they think it's the enemy. That's God. That's God in fury and judgment because they ignored his grace, because they refused to turn back and repent. And they shall flee as fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when none pursueth, and they shall fall upon one another. They're so afraid, and there are two of them hiding away, and suddenly they see this other man, and they jump out and kill one another. That's how bad they get. That's judgment. And this happened to the Jews. And they shall fall one upon another, as it were before a sword, when none pursueth. And ye shall have no power to stand before your enemies. And ye shall perish among the heathen, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And they that are left of you shall pine away in their iniquity, in your enemies' lands. And also in the iniquities of their fathers shall they pine away with them. Look at verse 40, by the way. That's the end of the fifth cycle. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they have trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I have also walked contrary unto them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember and I will remember the land. And it goes on. Oh, hallelujah. Even when the fifth cycle comes upon you, it's not too late. You get repenting. That's what he's saying. Now that's grace. God blessing them under his judgment. One cycle comes in. They can repent. A second cycle comes in. They can repent. A third cycle, they can repent. Right down to the fifth cycle. Now we'll see the fifth cycle again, just from Deuteronomy chapter 28, and beginning verse 45. Deuteronomy chapter 28, and verse 45 onwards. Now the difference between Leviticus 26, the passage we've just seen, and the passage we're now going to see, Deuteronomy 28, is that Deuteronomy doesn't actually give it in order going through. So all I'm going to take is the fifth cycle of discipline, as it's given in Deuteronomy. Alright, so Deuteronomy 28, and beginning verse 45. Now, this is a description of the fifth cycle of discipline. And I warn you, it is given in much more detail than in Leviticus 26. In fact, the actual language here is horrific. It describes in great detail the curses that will come as part of the fifth cycle. Now, here we go. Deuteronomy 28, verse 45. Moreover... All these curses shall come upon thee, and shall pursue thee. When you try and get away from them, they're going to chase after you, and overtake you, so that wherever you go, you will find these curses coming upon you. 
till thou be destroyed. Why? Because thou hast hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee. And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Now here's the fifth cycle in detail, verse 48. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things, and he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. That's a foreign nation coming in and taking them over, and not just taking them over, taking them away, out of their land, back home with them, so that they would serve them and be slaves to this foreign nation. And remember, the Jews were a proud nation. They were proud. They served no one. And the worst curse that could come upon them is that they'd be taken away and be forced to serve other people. Next, it describes them. And actually, this is a description of the Assyrians in particular. A nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. He shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land until thou be destroyed which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thy kind, or flocks of thy sheep, until he have destroyed thee. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates, until thy high and fenced walls come down, wherein thou trustest, throughout all the land. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates, throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Now I'm going to read these verses. They describe in detail the cannibalism. If you want to know how terrible this is, I suggest that you read Josephus, his account of the Roman War, where he goes into the details of the cannibalism that actually took place. Remember, when people are desperately hungry, they will actually lose their correct um, standing in their minds, and they will actually turn to cannibalism. There was a case quite recently, was there not? Uh, in the Andes, where a plane came down and they started eating other people just to keep themselves alive. And they were asked, well, how could you do it? And they said, we were so hungry, we just had to do it. And uh, so when I read this through, remember, these people are in desperate straits. To us, it's appalling now. These people are really starving. They probably have eaten all their shoes. They've eaten all the bits of leather they've got in the house just to try and get some sustenance. And finally, they turn to this degrading level. And it's all a warning from God. All they'd have to do is repent and God would remove the curse from the land. One of the things about the Bible is it does not actually mask its language. It describes exactly what's going to happen. So if you're of a weak constitution, I suggest you uh, close your ears. Here it is, and it's appalling. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body. The flesh of thy sons and thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee, in the siege and in the straitness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee, to eat your own children, because you're so hungry. So that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, look at that. Now this is describing a man who's a very nice man. And notice what it says, uh, he's very delicate. And that means his taste is very sensitive. 
He's got a well-developed palate. Even that man, the most gracious man you have ever met, a connoisseur, a connoisseur as far as food is concerned, he, look at this, his eye shall be evil towards his brother. So that you meet your brother and you think, I, I'm so hungry, if I get the chance I'm going to kill you and I'll roast you and I'll eat you. To your own brother. It gets worse. And toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave. Now that's bad enough. The next verse gets worse. So that he will not give to any of them the flesh of his children, whom he shall eat. So he kills one child and eats it, and he won't give any to any of his own children. He'd rather have them starve to death so that he can eat them as well. That's cannibalism of the worst order. This is appalling. Because he hath nothing left him in the siege and in the straitness, wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee in all thy gates. The, now the woman and the women will be just the same. The tender and delicate woman among you, which would not have ventured to set the sole of her foot upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness, her eye shall be evil towards the husband of her bosom, and toward her son, and toward her daughter, and toward her young one that cometh out from between her legs, and toward her children which she shall bear, for she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straitness wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee in thy gates. That's the fifth cycle of discipline. And remember, that only occurs a long time after the discipline has actually started. It is deliberate rebellion on behalf of these people. God warns them very clearly what's going to happen. I believe he made it bad so that they would not want to get into the fifth cycle of discipline. I think that's gracious of God. But they ignored it. Ignored it. Just turned their backs on the word of God. Thought it didn't mean what it actually said. Despite the fact that every sign said that it did. It, it's a terrible picture. And that's unfaithfulness of the Jews to God. Now verse 58. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book that thou mayst fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. Then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful. And wonderful means full of wonder or full of awe. I would say appalling. He will make thy plagues absolutely appalling so that everyone will look at you and say, how could they have done it, just as we're doing now? How could the Jews have reached this level? And the plagues of thy seed even great plagues, and of long continuance, and sore sicknesses, and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt. And so it goes on. Now, verse 64. <clears throat> verse 64. And the Lord <clears throat> shall scatter thee among all people, from the one end of the heaven, of the earth, even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. But the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart, and failing of eyes, and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night, and shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt, shalt say, would God it were even. Oh, I wish evening would come. Fancy having to face a whole day if only it were evening. That's how they're wishing their lives away. Next. And at even thou shalt say, Would God it were morning. 
This night is a horrific experience to me. Oh, I wish the morning would come. For the fear of thine heart, wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes, which thou shalt see. And the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again, with ships, by the way whereof I spake unto thee. Thou shalt see it no more again, and there ye shall be sold unto your enemies, for bondmen and bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. And Egypt means the land of bondage. You'll be taken into another land and sold, and no one will want to buy you. You're in such bad condition. All right, now that's the fifth cycle of discipline. Let me just emphasize that. The fourth cycle actually had enemies coming into the land and conquering in the land and winning in the land too. But there, then, the Jews were allowed to stay in their land. All they had to do was pay a tribute or a, a tax or something like that to the people in the land. That was the fourth cycle. The fifth cycle was when the enemies came into the land and then took the Jews home with them and scattered them throughout the land actually that they'd come from, so that they were taken to Assyria and scattered. Or in our case, in today, they've been scattered all around the world. That's the fifth cycle of discipline. And there was the warning of God. If you don't listen to the fourth cycle when these enemy nations are in your land, then the day will come when they'll be back and they'll take you home with them. That was the warning. Now, it's tragic, because Israel didn't listen. And as history went on, they refused to listen time and time again. I want to deal with four occasions now. Three, on three of them, they didn't listen, and the fifth cycle of discipline came in. On one, they did listen. And we'll see the actual consequence of it. All right? So the first one, the first one I'm going to take, actually happened in 722... To 720 BC. And this was Israel. That one was Israel. The Assyrians had come into the land and they began attacking Israel. Now, Israel knew the word of God. It had wonderful men of God who preached the word of God and who warned them look, they're in the land. You are in the fourth cycle of discipline. Beware, because the fifth cycle is coming, coming upon you. And they didn't listen at all. Now the story, I think we'll read it together, is in 2 Kings. In 2 Kings 18. And beginning at verse 9. 18 and beginning at verse 9. We'll just read a few verses. <clears throat> They failed hopelessly at this point. And here it is, 2 Kings 18, verse 9 to verse 12. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah. Now he's king of Judah. We're talking about Israel. That's to give us a cross-check on the date. The fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel. Now he was the last king of Israel. Here he is, Hoshea, H-O-S-H-E-A. Hoshea, the last king of Israel. And so we see that it was in the seventh year of his reign that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria, which was the capital of Israel, and besieged it. And that meant that they closed all the doors and he put his army all the way round the outside, besieged it. There it is. And at the end of three years, they were very patient, they just sat there. And the people sat inside. And they were eating up their food and drinking their water. 
and the Assyrians would they'd just have a good time outside the gates and they'd make warning noises and get the Jews really worried. They had three years to repent stuck inside that city. That's grace. Now, if you, you were stuck inside the city for three years, don't you think you'd begin considering, how can I get out of this? And there'd be prophets in there saying, just repent, that's all you've got to do, repent. And they ignored it, totally. The result, at the end of three years, they, the Assyrians, took it. Even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And here's the fifth cycle. And the king of Assyria did carry away Israel unto Assyria, and put them in Hala, in Habar, by the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. Why? Verse 12. Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, and all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded, which we've just read, by the way, and would not hear them, nor do them. And there's a failure. The fifth cycle of discipline comes upon Israel. Now the second one I want to look at actually begins in verse 13. It just follows on. And this is our success. And here's Hezekiah. Right Now we're talking now about Judah. Israel was taken out of the land by Syria and did not come back again. Now we come on to Judah. And in verse 13, now, in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. Now that's the fourth cycle of discipline. He comes into the land and he starts being victorious in the land. Aha, uh -huh. what's Hezekiah's reaction? Remember that uh, this was so successful that it ended up with just Jerusalem, which was besieged by an army, and one other city. Forty-seven cities have been destroyed. And Hezekiah is inside one of them. He's got two wonderful prophets with him, one Isaiah and another, the wonderful prophet Nahum, both inside with him. Well, I couldn't think of two better people to have inside a besieged city than those two. But the fourth cycle hits. What's his reaction? Just turn over into 2 Kings 19 and verse 1. 2 Kings 19, 1. And it came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes, he tore them, and covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now that's a different reaction altogether, right? And verse 2, And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. Hallelujah. He's going to turn to the Lord. He's saying, Lord, I can't do it. I repent. And this sackcloth was a sign of repentance. What did God do? Did he then say, okay, well, I'll gradually take the Assyrians away from your doorstep? Not at all. Now, in the same chapter, 2 Kings 19 and verse 32, here's what God does. They repent the next evening, this is. And this is Isaiah talking. I'm coming in in the middle of Isaiah's wonderful talk, which he gave to Hezekiah and to the people. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city. Now, that was against all reason. He had destroyed 47 cities. They didn't have much of an army inside Jerusalem. And the Assyrians were all the way around. And Isaiah says, he's not going to come in. Don't worry, he won't enter the city, not into Jerusalem. 
nor shoot an arrow there. Fantastic. Gets better. Nor come before it with a shield. He's not going to run at the doors to try and break it down. Nor cast a bank against it. That was the old system where they used to uh, have a large wall and they used to start dumping sand in front of it to make a runway up to the wall. And then all the soldiers used to go charging up this runway and over the wall into the city. He's not going to do it. That's what Isaiah says. And that's the word of the Lord coming through. Why? They've repented. Hallelujah. This was Israel's right. This was Judah's right to repent. Oh, that they had done it more often. We'd have a glorious nation Israel today. And no one would be shouting at them either. They'd be God's wonderful, glorious nation. Yeah. By the same way that he came, by the same shall he return. And, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my David, servant David's sake. Verse 35, And it came to pass that night, that very night, by the way, that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. That's a hundred and eighty-five thousand Assyrians died in one night. And we better be careful with this next part. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. <laughs> now, I, let's uh, actually expand that a bit. Uh, and when they, that's the inhabitants of Jerusalem, arose early in the morning, behold, they, the Assyrians, were all dead corpses. All right, now imagine that. You suddenly come out, look over the wall, and the army's gone. They're all dead. And that's gone. You haven't done anything. Praise God. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. Praise God. And uh, actually, that, he writes about all of his campaigns. And uh, in his, the Assyrian tablets, you come to a place where it actually says, And Sennacherib came against Hezekiah. Then it says, that's the end of the history then. Then it says, and he was killed later on by his two sons. And all his other great glories and his other great victories, they're all given out in detail. All it says, he came against Hezekiah, and it stops. Praise God. They didn't like recording their defeats. God defeated them. Right, well, there's the time, and that was the success. What a shame Judah didn't learn. Having been through that, it was only 100 years later that we come to the third. And this is another failure. All right? And this is when Nebuchadnezzar, came up against Judah. And in 606, 606, he comes up to, the, to Judah, and he comes into the land and actually takes away some of the king's sons and some of the noble princes. Now that's the beginning of the fifth cycle. And then, of course, the king had to pay his taxes and tribute. Then he refused, and so in 598... Nebuchadnezzar came back again and took more noblemen and more princes away into the land. Finally, Zedekiah comes to the throne and he refuses to pay taxes anymore to Nebuchadnezzar. So the final stage is the downfall, which is 588 to 586 BC. And that's the fifth cycle of discipline coming upon Judah. This is only a hundred years after Hezekiah had repented Oh, that they would repent, but they refused. Point blank, they refused. All right, let's have a look at that as well. I think we'll go to Chronicles for this. Uh, two Chronicles. Chronicles 
36, two Chronicles, 36, and beginning verse 11. <clears throat> now Zedekiah was the last king of Judah. Zedekiah was the last king of Judah. And here we have him. And I'm reading this passage to show whose fault it really was. Zedekiah was one and twenty years old when he began to reign, and reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet. Remember, Jeremiah had preached for forty years, repent, repent, repent. He wouldn't do it. Zedekiah said, I won't repent. And Jeremiah said, well, you know what's coming upon you. Seventy years of captivity. And he gave the actual number of years as well. All right, he humbled himself not. Uh, uh, before Jeremiah the prophet speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who'd made him swear by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the chief of the priests... And the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen, and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers and his grace sent to them by his messengers. They were the prophets. He sent messengers to them. Time and time again, it actually says, rising up betimes. Betimes means all the time. All through the day and night, these messengers were coming and they were saying, you've got to repent. If you repent, it will all stop. Nebuchadnezzar will be sent packing. Don't you remember what happened to Sennacherib? And they wouldn't do it. And every person in the city refused to bow the knee to the Lord. The priests, the leaders, the king just wouldn't. All right? Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. God sent those messengers in because of his love for the Jews. Verse 16. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, that's Nebuchadnezzar, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man, or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of, of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. Now he took all of the uh, vessels that were actually in the temple, and he carted them off into Babylon. All right, and verse 20 gives us the fifth cycle. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. There's a failure. And the fourth one that I want to talk about is actually in the time of Jesus. At the time of Jesus, the Romans were in the land. That's the fourth cycle of discipline. And it, it, you remember Jesus said, but you haven't listened to the messengers. They've been sent, the prophets have been sent, and now he's even sent his beloved son. Will you listen to him? And Jesus came and he told them what was going to happen. Read it for yourselves in Luke 21. He said that nations will come against you. Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. Right? He promised them that that would happen unless they repented. And they didn't repent. And finally, 
40 years after Jesus, in AD 66, 66 to 70, it actually went on to 73, the Roman army under Titus came in and took the Jews away into captivity. They scattered them all around the world. And that has only just recently begun to be undone. For nearly 1,900 years they were scattered. Mm. Only now are we seeing the beginning of the regathering. For 1,900 years the Jews have been under the fifth cycle of discipline. And they're still under it too at this present time. They're just beginning to come out and into the fourth cycle of discipline. We must pray that Israel is actually saved. Now, if God so dealt with Israel, let us beware in this country. For if he spared not Israel, what about nations like ourselves that reject the Lord? These are his beloved people. If he dealt with them so harshly, we can expect the harsher treatment. And to end with, I'd just like to see a little passage in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. 17 to 21. Romans 11. 17 to 21. <clears throat> and here the natural branches are Israel. And here's the warning. And if some of the branches be broken off, that's Israel, and thou, you Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. You see the pride there? That's what sometimes the church says. Oh, the Jews were cut off so that we could come about. Oh yeah, watch this. Verse 20, well... Because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. And Britain, and France, and Russia, and China, and America can say what they like about Israel. They are in greater danger than Israel ever is. Because it is true that France could be wiped off the face of the earth and no longer exist. Israel never will. Britain can go away. It can disappear from the face of the earth. Israel never will. We need in this country and in America and in every country of the world such humility before God that we should serve God with all our hearts and love him with all our minds. Then indeed, if God spared the Jews, when they repented, he will also spare us. The message is also for the church. Let us beware ever having pride, either about our position with the Lord, or the position that Israel lost, that we might gain our position with the Lord. And let us walk in humility all the time. They're the five cycles of discipline. Next time, I'm going to deal with the judgment of nations. Amen.